0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Okay, I think it's time for a reality check and a deep dive on where our educators are. I've worked in education roughly my whole career and maybe more importantly, a father of two young children. It's incredibly important to me how our educators feel, how they feel supported, the things that they need, and sort of the changes and the ebbs and flows of the profession and the impact that that can have in our communities and the families across the country at large. We're gonna be spending today learning more about that with Francie Alexander. She's a former teacher. She's the SVP of research and the chief academic officer at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, or as most of you know, in the industry, HMH. She also spent a number of years at Scholastic as a chief academic officer. And HMH has released their recent educator conference confidence report, excuse me, the educator conference report in three different parts. And, and Francie, I want to start with this. I mean, you have been in the classroom, I've been in the classroom. I think there are experiences that we have in classrooms that we feel sometimes are exclusive to our to ourselves and our own experience. And yet, when we sort of walk out of the door into the hallway, we find we have shared experiences. Good, bad, indifferent. We have our shared anxieties and fears, hopes and dreams as well. Take me through the through the origin of the report, sort of where we are now in 2023, and talk with me about it as a an, as an former educator through that lens, as opposed to where you are right now at HMH, and then we'll get to that element as well.
1: Sure. And I appreciate the opportunity to get to share with this as a former teacher and as you were, one of the most important things people tell us about participating is that somebody asked, you know, people want to be asked, how are you doing? And so the Educators Confidence Report, and we call it shortly sometimes the ECR, is in its ninth annual. And for the past five years, we've been focusing on something we have called an educator's confidence index, trying to adapt, if you would, some of the research practices like the Dow Jones, look at certain factors and and give it a score. And so we've had some interesting phenomena at the height of the pandemic, there was the height of the positivity, if you would, it's a hundred point scale. It was in, it soared up to the high forties. And we wondered about that, that we thought, wow, how could that be? And, you know, I think it was because you talked about being a parent of school children, teachers were feeling appreciated. There was that moment where we were saying, my goodness, look what they do. Now that I can be the POS, the parent over shoulder and sort of see what's going on, I understand even better. And then though we hit a low last year, and so then it was, well, what possibly happened? And most people were back in school, and I think it was a kind of a reality check. You talked about that, that we're back. But we have issues, some of the issues because the children have been away from school for a long time, but some of the issues were things maybe we didn't pay as much attention to as we are now. And those having to do, I believe, with where the teach where teachers are and where students are in terms of overall wellness, not just academics, but overall wellness. So we did.
0: It. I was going to ask you, Is there? do you feel that they're, looking at the data, is there an expiration date? Maybe there's a better way to phrase that, but an expiration date on our ability or our, I don't know, the notion that we continue to bolt onto what we're seeing from a data perspective, the pandemic. Because what's fascinating about the country and for those, and I've been very blessed to travel around the world, is that, you know, you could, depending upon the state that you were in, in the U.S., you either missed a lot of school in person school or your state had you in school. And so while I I absolutely understand that moment in time when I when I agree with you there were there were there was this sort of influx of of positive emotions thinking about teachers and all that they do. It was sort of a, a reset, I think, for parents to say, okay, <laughs> I needed a refresher, a reminder of how hard they work, and it's so much more than just reading, writing, arithmetic et cetera, et cetera. All right. This is about supporting an ecosystem of development for these young people. But I'm wondering at what point do we take the data that we think was sort of bathed in the pandemic and appropriately couch that and or then say, well, maybe this is the new normal. And I'm just wondering sort of internal discussions about what we're looking at and how we can sort of separate that out to have a I think, maybe a level set as well, so that we know if we're either making progress or if we're going backwards or if we're forging an incredibly new path that we just don't know where we're going.
1: I I think it's a bit of a reset and we are talking about it as a cautious optimism mm. that maybe we don't have a clear path and markers in terms of the where we're going. But I think the the uptick represents, first of all, people are noticing us. Secondly, people are looking, you know, talk about your children, talk about the children we've taught. They're looking at the whole child. Yes, we're looking at what's going on academically, but we are talking more about what also is going on socially with the kids. And I think that conversation is a good one and an important one, because we all know their world is different from the classroom is a different classroom from the one i taught in it's very very different and so understanding that and appreciating that and and also i think having this deep sense of a teacher's work literally during the working time is endless meaning you are on The entire time you're with your students, but then it, it, I think it carries over after school in a way that other jobs don't, you don't lose the, the joy of a moment. Somebody told an incredible joke and you're telling all your friends about it, or perhaps the sorrow of some kid who just wasn't connecting or you weren't connecting and, or you have a group of kids and this is the time of year. I used to have to report to my principal, were my first graders where they should be in reading? And if they weren't, when they came back in January, what was the plan for them? Because first grade was considered a first skill for reading. And the expectation at my school was those children would walk out reading. And so this is an incredibly busy time for teachers too. So I think we are in a time, again, I want to say of cautious optimism, that we're recognizing things we hadn't before and we're planning for meeting those things. And the, our, our studies show we do have new tools and that we can harness the power of technology in new ways to help teaching
0: One of the things that I get very interested in is trying to understand this next generation of teachers that are currently maybe in middle school or high school, but they're starting to watch their educators and think about, wow, I'd like to contribute in that way. They just there's a connection that they have. And it makes me then think about the support and the structures we have in place to develop that talent that would then eventually articulate into classrooms across the country. If I put you back into the classroom now, Francie. Given what you see in the data and sort of where teachers are sort of asking for, you know, sort of an uptick in resources or opportunities and ways in which to meet the needs of children and also of the careers of today and tomorrow, what do you, what would be a couple of the main areas of focus for you to get yourself prepared for today's environment? And maybe in reflection on the data that we're talking about here, how would you sort of see yourself walking into a classroom in 2023 and what areas? If I was your principal or if someone else was your principal, would you say, I'm happy to be here, but these are some things that I'm going to need to to build up on so that I can be effective in the classroom?
1: Let me tell you, the very first thing would be, and I remember when I started teaching, it was, this is your classroom, this is your world, you're in charge. And there was a sense that teachers closed the door and, and took care of things. Now I would ask for more opportunities to collaborate with my peers. More time, indeed, on our study, the teacher said we want a more balanced workload, meaning they are on with their kids, as I described before but time to sit with my colleagues and plan time to talk about those kids who maybe are still striving in reading. What are you doing? Where are you finding your kids are now? If there are playground issues, let's talk about it. So I think teachers need more time to be together. And I would ask for that. What are the opportunities for me to be with my peers? I remember when I started teaching they said, you're, you're, the most, you're going to have the most important job you're ever going to have. And it's not going to change the next year because you're a second year or a third year because these first graders, this is their only first grade. So this is the high point and the apex of your career. And I think we all need to keep that in mind that the children in our classes, you're going to be their only kindergarten teacher or their only chemistry teacher. Whatever it is, the significant impact you have, and I do think you need the support of your peers to fulfill that responsibility and that privilege.
0: Branty, is there a data point in the the report that that you look at, it's it, you know I'm a big sports fanatic, and I always find it interesting, regardless of the sport. But let's say after a game, a coach is looking at a box score, or they're looking at the, the sort of the data points, and there'll be one set that they'll look at always because for them that says this is what happened during that that athletic event. Is there a data point in the report that you look at that you might think is a little bit more important than people might not even notice, or they might just sort of glance over it and you think, you know what, that's that's a key indicator if we, as we look forward.
1: You know, it's something we just talked about, and it's that figure, and I have it on a card and a sticker. The teacher in me always has to have uh-huh. something, and and since I don't get to do bulletin boards anymore, I just make little inspiration boards for myself. And it's the 82% of educators that said they need a more balanced workload and staffing that supports that. That. Teachers really are looking more broadly than I did as a teacher. It's like I have my class, I have this, really wanting to extend their practice and be part of professional learning communities. So that 82% is a big one for me. I always, and I I appreciate the sports analogy, and I, I think about all the data that you get after a game and that Coach Kerr had said to his statistics people, every game I get like a stat, tell me what it is. And they found the one thing was the, when the number of touches that the Warriors had led to wins. For me, it's that 82%. How does that ecosystem come together to support a realistic workload for our, our, our teachers?
0: And part of that workload is either going to be lessened or it's going to be supported or potentially it's going to pile on, depending upon perspective and experience and comfort level. When we talk about artificial intelligence, I have had the privilege to interview a number of luminaries in the space, and I find it fascinating to think about AI, generative AI and how it is impacting our world already. And I think a lot of pe- people just in general aren't sort of seeing maybe the, the progress that AI is making. But of course, to me, then it distills down to education. And how are we going to prepare our students? And secondarily, how are we gonna prepare and support educators that are currently in classrooms and those that we hope would enter a classroom? What are you hearing? What what does the data you know, reveal to us about AI? Because Look, if we I think if we are calling a spade a spade in education, one area we have struggled historically is in adopting technology, right? We had sort of the the decade of let's just digitize everything. So we're just going to do a one to one conversion. We're just going to sort of throw that into the classroom and that should make it good. And then we said, well, let's apply that to scheduling. And so we just sort of were very rudimentary in our application of technology. Yet we have digital natives in our classroom. And these young people are saying, "Well, look at all these possibilities." And so, how should we feel? Or sort of the what's the the index of where we are and our comfort level with AI, and where we think we need to step up? Whether it's HMH or it's within the public school system, give me sort of your state of the union of AI and and the receptability of educators across the country.
1: Certainly, and starting with the ECR, to me, it was a revelation. Very few teachers. We're using AI in any way. However, for next year, so you have the load, like under 20% using, having some experience, over 70% saying they'd be using it next year. This, to me, is an important lesson. Teachers are going to be at the front of this. And they're understanding it in really interesting way. And in teaching, And uh, and I think of this, why do we become teachers? Because we want to be lifelong learners. Nobody has to tell us to be that. We know that's one of the job perks and expectations. (laughs) So I think of teachers first as teachers, as learners. And I thought it was very smart of them, if you would, to say, we are cautious about this. But we're preparing. That's what I got out of the report. So I'm so excited already about thinking, is that prediction going to come true with the 10th annual? Then it's teachers as teachers. And now they're grappling with how is this? I'm going, am I going to use it in my work? And how am I going to use it in that part of my work that it impacts my students. So, for example, at HMH, we have experience with a program called Writable that uses artificial intelligence to provide students with feedback on their writing because with any technology, and as you point out, the adoptions have not been smooth in education, and it appears that educators are behind. I think here's a place educators are going to be in the forefront because they're not looking at it as yippee skippy, there's something new. no. They're looking at it strategically and what are the problems I'm trying to solve. So in writing, the problem I'm trying to solve is if I assign all these papers, I really don't have time to give the quality of feedback I want to. If, like with Writable and other programs, I can get assistance with that, I'm going to really encourage you to write a lot more. And I'm, I'm, because I'm going to have some help and support with it. So teachers is teachers, and they are using it in lesson planning. They are using it in grading. And I remember the year I taught four grades. I was teaching kindergarten through third, and I got for doing that as a kind of a model in my state, a teaching assistant. And yeah. when I thought of somebody grading and somebody doing those things, it did make a difference. And it did allow me to meet the individual needs of, of such a ban of needs in my in my classroom. And then it's teachers as leaders. Teachers are the ones who are communicating with families and others about what works and what doesn't, and with companies like ours, what they need. And of course what they're looking for are trusted sources. And we're working to be that because when they use something, they want to be sure it's equitable. They want to be sure that it also has in terms of all of the safety procedures and protocols and those things, that they're using it in a safe environment. They're not sending their kids or going themselves somewhere that they don't want to be. There have been all the recent reports of you can look up topics like gymnastics and see things that you don't want want children to see. All of that, they know in our environment, it's going to be protected. It's going to be safe.
0: Take me inside HMH. This is what's fascinating to me because I've worked in education and ed tech. And so I've been in these conversations and conferences and with investors and, and these sorts of things. And it's always fascinating, I think, because, you know, if you're a company that's providing products and services and solutions to the education market, you really have to be you have to be sort of delicate in the way in which you you task your R and D department, sort of what are we gonna research and develop? Are we gonna to go too far in front? Is, you know, are our schools ready for this? Are our students, there, there's a lot that goes into this. This is not just retail, right? But we're also in a world to your point around AI, and we're seeing a major uptick in the desire of educators to implement AI into their, their teaching practice. And we also know the students are doing this, right? Writ large, right. they are integrating it in. This is, this is all that they know. So how do you balance that as a company when you think about how you want to look at innovation and also requests that you get from the field of education because HMH of course is an iconic brand across the country and the world and so I would imagine you get a lot of you get a lot of sort of suggestions in the old suggestion box of what people would yeah. like to see and you are charged as a company to sort of you know pace that out right understand sort of yes that we're going to we're going to table that but that's an probably an important development that we're going to want to look at how do you do that how do you think about pacing is it changed now because of ai just as a company the way in which you think about ideating through these ideas
1: and the pace of change is more rapid than it, than it's ever been. And that we all know, and that's because of the introduction of these new technologies and how information shifts and grows and bodies of knowledge grow. And one thing that we do, we stay very close to our teachers. This is one way through this, this survey. But there are other ways. We have something, we have a teacher's Facebook group that like, Has thousands of teachers in it now who just talk about our reading program and who discuss issues or problems they're having. And of course, what do the teachers like best? They like the solutions that are provided by fellow teachers. We try to. If somebody has a question, we're there. We try to answer it. And it's thank you, but I really liked being in this classroom with this teacher and, and getting that particular answer. So we're building these communities of learners and teachers together. That's an important way that we're doing it. And and we do here. Teachers want it to be integrated with other things that they do. Not, you mentioned piling more on, not just another thing. And they're also asking us for, what do we not need to do anymore? that we really, that's what they mean about balance. And it's not like, oh, be uh, I'm supposed to have five more hours in my day. Please remember that some of those hours should be for me and my dealing with my personal wellness and my priorities with my family and my community. Yeah. You know, so let look at my workload that way, not We're going to give you another two hours. You could do something in the classroom, but some of that for self time and then to use your time in the classroom doing those things that teachers do best. And there is not any kind of an application of AI or anything else that can second that relationship with a student, eliciting answers or conversations that the student didn't even know they had in them, having those great discussions with students, having those explications, having those moments of joy and discovery when a student figures out something that you weren't quote, even teaching, and they took it to another level. And again, those moments of humor, those moments of sadness and sharing, those deep relationships. And I can tell you as a former teacher, and now at this time of year in the holidays, there's nothing better than getting just a note. It could be by email or, or traditional mail, just something that says, you made a difference on this. This really helped. This helped our family or a kid writing you really got me through something. Just those moments or just in conversation. Some gratitude and some appreciation goes a very long way. It's the high touch to all this high tech that we're dealing with.
0: I love that high touch to the high tech. Very well put. Uh, Francie, I'm curious. I, I See, I think I have, a, I have a thought that one area that we could continue to grow in, I think, and develop, which is to lay out the opportunities throughout the educational ecosystem. I think that we have traditionally, it's a sort of an either or, either you are in the classroom or you're in administration. You're either in K-12 or you're in higher ed. But you and I both know that, you know, even if you just sort of put our careers up, there are lots of different ways that you can positively impact education across the K-20 spectrum here in the U.S. and abroad. And I think we should probably work on that from just a talent acquisition objective (laughs) moving forward to support what young people think of education, because some people are meant for the classroom. Some people are meant potentially to work for an ed tech company or a curriculum company or to represent a brand or to speak up, you know, all these sorts of things. So take me into the decision when you decided to leave the classroom and you then began your journey and it may have been straight to Scholastic or or to some other stops, but help me understand that decision-making process and how you thought about applying your love and talent in the classroom and doing that in a different and more varied way as you have the last so many years.
1: What was interesting because I was asked as a teacher to do, if you would, a commencement talk for teachers in a teacher education program. And in it, and I, you know, how you think of things differently when you think you're going to talk to somebody, I talked about everything I'd learned as a teacher and what it had done to my life, you know, personally, professionally. And I said, I hope my stu-, I said, my students have helped me be ready for anything. So when the opportunity came, and it, it came still in public education, and it came to be in a State Department of Education, it was that I could be in in the terms now that young people use in in that's a job now being an influencer it was like said, you could influence your profession. And what happens to other teachers in our state? So now I like to joke and say, I I didn't know it, but I was an early influencer. (laughs) And I was a, a teacher's voice in a state department of education, and then talking about the conditions of teaching. And at that time, talking about It's the integration of technology, which was becoming to the forefront in our state and how we were going to do things. So I think in that way, I would say if you want to be an influencer, and by the way, it's not influencing somebody to eat something or do something or take an action. It's influencing how somebody's life trajectory is going to be. That's pretty big and that's pretty important. And so you can do it in the classroom through all the students you teach. And you teach those students and their families and their communities. You're part of all of that. Or you can do it by supporting teachers, by providing instructional resources that we you know make a difference, providing assessments that really get at the information you need as a teacher. I'm not just giving this as an exercise for somebody else. Thinking that way. And then, of course, listening. Providing a mechanism. For teachers, for school leaders to have a voice in shaping policy and in shaping the very materials that we present to the field. They come from ideas we get from educators so they can see themselves in what we do. And we like to say sometimes you asked for this and now we do this in this iteration of the program.
0: Well, I think it's incredibly important to have representative voices that understand not just the classroom, but understand the the delicate relationship and partnership between our private sector and our public sector. And I think you do that in spades, Francie. You bring the background that you have in classrooms, obviously as an influence and in working with the State Department of Education. Your 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 long and and uh, long achievements at Scholastic and obviously at HMH. And I think these conversations are important so that we connect the dots. I think we are moving at a very rapid pace with technology and our understanding and application of education. We've got to have people who understand that spectrum of development and to do so in a very thoughtful, I think, caring way that represents really what the spirit of education is And you do that very, very well. We want to thank Francie Alexander. She's the she's the SVP of research and the chief academic officer at HMH. I would encourage people to check out HMH's Educator Confidence Report online. Learn more about that and the questions that are being asked currently and those that are going to be asked in the future, the profession and the field at large. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.